Welcome on into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Lintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As always, Elise Menerkert. Let's try that again. Elise Menerkert, Tony Andraki, and Alex Cohen. What's up, guys? We're How both are in Iowa yeah. together. Um, so we're going to do actually first a little Cubs chat because they're coming off of a couple of exciting wins. So that's where we'll start. And there's, of course, a lot of, always a lot of exciting stuff happening here in Iowa. But first, um, Tony, just kind of give me your take as you've been there. Um, Cause I've been here with Alex for the last couple of days, just kind of what Wrigley has been like with those wins. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. It feels a lot like summer. Um, although I guess actually yesterday, you know, to, uh, sorry, Wednesday night's game felt a little more like late September. It got cold all of a sudden, like it was super hot. Then it got cold, but anyways, um, like the, the crowd has been great and, you know, it was a holiday weekend and, and Wrigley felt like so much, back to normal in a lot of ways and it was loud I mean like you said it was two really exciting games and there were a lot of loud moments where the crowd was really getting into it just simple like you know a walk here or there or uh, a really nice play and it was kind of cool it it just struck me the last few days to see how much the crowd was into it not that they weren't earlier in the year but there was just maybe a little extra energy this year like post memorial day like it really is summer everybody's like raring to go and you know, from the Cubs perspective, I think the two close wins that they had, uh, you know, an eighth inning and then a walk off in the 10th that they just know that they need to get over the hump in these one run games and to do it against the Milwaukee Brewers, the division leaders, and to split that series and to kind of rally in both games, I think was a, was a big confidence boost for this team and where they're at right now. And Alex, I know it was a big deal for you to get to see Matt Swarmer. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's really well. Yeah, so uh, we were actually busing back in the middle of the night on Sunday uh, from Memphis to Des Moines. So I got back at 8.30 in the morning, went home, went immediately to sleep. And I woke up to the second inning, Matt Swarmer pitching and Boob talking about love languages. What better (laughs) wake up can you possibly have? Uh, But just seeing Matt in a situation like that, pitching at Wrigley Field against the division rivals for his big league debut, somebody who's been year since 2019 I mean he really went through it in 2019 he led the league in innings pitch he led the inning the league in strikeouts but he also set the franchise record for the most home runs given up then in 2021 he started the season in double a you could tell he was a little disappointed by that came up here to Iowa I would say three weeks into the season and he and Ron Ballone basically started from step one and, and reframing that pitching mentality and pitching off the slider and not trying to strike out everybody. And then he started striking out everybody. So it just had to had its reverse effect. And just seeing Matt uh, pitching in cubby blue up at Wrigley field, I mean, it put a smile to my face and then you combine boo talking about love languages. What a morning, right? <laughs> Jeez. And that, that was for Christopher Morrell, how he likes to touch and hug. Exactly. Everyone. But he was, the, <laughs> when I woke up, he was hugging Matt Swarmer twice. <laughs> True. So I really put my two worlds together. <laughs> That's right. Alex, <laughs> what's your love language, by the way? <laughs> you know, I'm a big words of affirmation guy. I like <laughs> do. Talk. Yes. Yeah. Tell me that I'm good. Come on. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, this podcast are taking a whole different turn. I, uh, I'm going to try to segue back, although I'm, I feel like people. That's why me and Tony are kicking I feel like people might be interested more, though. <laughs> the other direction we're going in. Um, but 
I, I'm with you watching Swarmer. It, it brought like just happiness to my heart. And it was funny yesterday too, because in talking to pitching coach here, Ron Vallone, who Alex mentioned, he worked very closely with over the last few years. Um, you heard Swarmer say after like, man, I just got to grip it and rip it and throw. And Ron Vallone said that. And I was like, wait a minute. Swarmer said that he was, oh yeah. He goes, that's our phrase. We've been working on that for a long time. So it was even just fun to see how Swarmer has taken in the information. And it's one thing to take it in, but then to execute as well. So I think that was a highlight of the week so far, Swarmer. And of course, he's a highlight every day. We can even go back to the love language talk if you want to. But Christopher Morell, I mean, not only does this guy always get on base, but last night, a really exciting walk-off win for him. He gets another Gatorade bath. Alex, for you to see a prospect like that, I know he wasn't in Iowa, but to see him rise in the big leagues, what's that like? I mean, he is just, he's what a human highlight reel, but he's also like a human Christmas tree. He's always happy. He's always smiling. I mean, he, he's like uh, Danny Rojas from, uh, from Ted Lasso, like football is life with a smile on his face. Like he's just an incredible human and incredible spirit and somebody who just radiates happiness and excitement and that comes across in his game too i mean when you can throw hard you can run fast you can hit far that's a really nice foundation to build upon and that's exactly what he does we saw him here uh for about 12 games last year maybe 10 games last year and he's somebody that came to the ballpark every day first person out during batted practice again smiling dapping you up giving you a hug um, and somebody here who hit a home run, played a bunch of different positions defensively, played in the outfield, made a diving play at third. And what you could see immediately was just like the raw talent. Like his arm strength is something different. Him taking batting practice and the sound off the bat is something different. And it's just being able to making sure that those pieces fit together as part of the baseball puzzle. And they're doing that right now during his big league debut up in the big leagues at Wrigley Field against the rival. What better way to be able to do that? So I think Christopher Morrell, when he signed as a young player, they knew that all these facets of his game were there. He had the potential to be a five-tool player, an everyday starter, and an all-star type ability. But for that to be able to, to all come together up in the big leagues, it's really fun to watch. And to clarify, like you were saying, you never saw extended time with him here, but he was called up late. Mm -hmm. And then you were surprised to see him start in double-A, but probably about getting those reps at bats. And they're really paying dividends right now. And, and Tony, it just has to be fun those last couple of games to see that up there. And like Alex said, just a smile he always has on his face regardless. Yeah, it is. I, I, at least I know we were talking about it, you know, on the South side uh, for the Crosstown series a couple of days ago, but just like his like wholesome energy. And, and Alex, I love that Danny Rojas comparison because I think that's so perfect. But I just love you ask Morel a question and you see this smile and he's just like, so it's amazing. And I'm just <laughs> like, like he says that for so many things and he yeah. talks about how much he loves baseball and he loves being up here and he loves being in the moment and everything is amazing to him and it's all seems genuine it doesn't seem like he's being hyperbolic in any way because it all is so amazing and he's playing amazing and his energy is amazing and his passion and all of these moments I mean to see his relationship with Wilson Contreras and you know I tweeted out like this great shot and I think it was Bobby I heard that who got the shot yesterday in the marquee broadcast broadcast but it was like zooming in after Morel went down 0-2 on in that last at bat and he looks back and Wilson Contreras is in focus and he's like telling him to calm down and then Morel takes yeah, a deep breath true. lays off a changeup just outside the zone then ends up getting the sack fly to win it and it was just like that was so cool that moment was just really awesome to hear how how Wilson has been a mentor to him you know from the minor leagues up but really these last 15 16 days so far and 
Um, you know, Morell actually broke Wilson Contreras's uh, on base streak to start a, a career for a Cubs rookie. Wilson didn't even know, but he was like, he was just all joy. He was happy for Morell. You know, it wasn't like, oh, my record got broken. It was just like, that's awesome. Good for him. I'm so proud of him. And so there's just so many different cool angles about this. And obviously he's just playing so well. I mean, he, he can play wherever on the field. He can hit well. I'm just so impressed with how many at bats he has where, you know, he goes from 0-2 to start the count and then draws a walk. Like, it just in every facet of, you know, personality to the game, he's been impressive. And doing that in big-time situations, like when the game is on the line, coming through now a couple of times, um, because I do think of his first home run as like a big moment for him, right? Because he had to do the same thing there. We saw like the breathing kind of take over, relaxing, calming himself, because the crowd became so big in that moment. And then last night, of course, coming through for his team to get the win, but really always just doing something, whether it's with his bat, on the base pads, um, his energy that's infectious. And I think, like you said, he really has – learned a lot from Wilson Contreras. And I think more than anything, not just from Wilson, but from the team, from David Ross, they always talk about be yourself up in the big leagues, whatever got you here, do that and maintain that. And I think for someone to be able to do that and thrive in that situation is what impresses me most about him is that there has been no learning curve for him. He's just dove right in and he's excelled. And I think uh, that's, what's really fun and impressive to watch because you keep waiting. Like, when is he going to cool off or when is something, you know, just going to kind of be even with him. And I don't even know if there is such thing with him. I feel like he's always just going to be that player. It it, it might, but what (laughs) will come with that is just a smile, excitement, eagerness. And even if he does struggle, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Patrick Wisdom is sometimes you'll get those weeks where he struggles and then he breaks out and he wins you games. Yeah. Christopher Morell is a type of player that with this defense ability to play a number of different positions, his ability to run, he can hit in every count. He can hit clutch. He can hit top of the order. He can table set. He can end games. He is somebody who can win you games single-handedly and when he, he's going well. Hitting leadoff too, yes. to come up and just to step in that role, which the Cubs for a long time have been searching for someone consistent there. And I'm not saying that's where he'll be forever, but to be there, you know, game after game right now and stepping up and being exactly who they need him to be. That's huge. huge. Yeah, I mean, he he basically won the game for the Cubs, you yeah. know, Wednesday night because, to you know, to guys' point, in the leadoff spot, he's 0-2 to start, then draws a walk, then Wilson Contreras gets a single, then Morel steals third, and, and he's already drawn comparisons this week to Javi Baez, but it was a very Javi-like play. He steals third, induces this wild throw into left field, so he scores, Wilson moves a third, then a ground out scores him, and it's like, okay, bam, there's two runs. He drives in the last run of the game. They win 4-3. So it's like he accounted for three runs just by his magic almost, essentially. Yeah, I'm with you. It is just that I think that energy is a big part of it and that comfort, that feeling of, okay, what I'm doing is enough. It is okay because I think there's always that feeling especially when you get to the big leagues, like you want to press a little bit, you want to do more, you want to show people. There's never been anything from Morel that says, I want to show people anything. Mm-hmm. He's just saying, I'm here. This is who I am. And I'm going to enjoy it. I mean, sometimes you see it even at this level, guys get up here and there's a, a sort of tentative energy yeah. to them. I don't want to strike out because I don't want to have that K rate and not be able to put the ball in play. And it feels like Christopher Morel is just letting it rip. It's like, this is who I am. I'm going to play. If I strike out, I strike out. If I make a mistake, I make a mistake but I have fun. This is what I do. And here's what I could bring to the table. And we've seen some guys here, even in Iowa who are itching to get back up for different Mm -hmm. reasons. Say than like a morale, we've had Alec Mills on the mound Wednesday. He looked great. He did really crisp. I think this is Alex. You can test, but that I think was his best start 
so far here in terms of the rehab oh, by far. assignments. And, by far. Yeah. and so I think that's really promising, especially with where we're at on the injury front. The same goes for David Bodie. I don't know if you heard yesterday, Tony, but not only is David Bodie just trying to get back healthy, right? His shoulder, he says he feels the best in years, but he got glasses. And so we've heard that from PJ Higgins up there. And now it's like, oh, it's all these, you know, guys checking out their eyes and, and getting them fixed. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys about that. So I know you were talking on the broadcast on Wednesday about Bodie getting glasses, but can you share a little bit more about just, um, I think you were saying in one eye, he doesn't need glasses, but the other he does. Was that right? So one of his eyes is, is relative to the other is fine. He has like a very small prescription in both, but he really, it sounds like got it for like just one of his eyes, but he said it's been something he's been dealing with since really, was it 2017? 2017. He's been dealing yeah. with it for five years. So, and he it's just crazy. never felt it was that bad. He was kind of just dealing with it, thought he could get by. He did test out, like he said, 10 different pairs of contacts to try to just make it better, but it never really felt right. And then finally, uh, kind of like what Higgins said, I fixed my arm, might as well fix my eyes. It kind of felt like that for Bodie. Why not, um, you know, try these out? And they're the same ones that you see Alec Mills wearing and they look good. They look comfortable, uh, natural, these like kind of um, Oakley athletic um, eyewear. They don't even, we had to ask him originally when we saw him wearing them, we didn't even know if they were prescription. So they don't even look really. Yeah. They first. were kind of stylish. They had yeah. a, <clears throat> a mixture between that and like Rick Wild thing, Vaughn Rex specs. <laughs> nice. So uh, they, they look good. And, and David was just like, yeah, like I'm right now, like I'm rehabbing my shoulder. I'm trying to get stronger. You know, it's been a, it's been a long couple months, you know, just trying to put the weight back on, get back in the gym, see pitches, get the conditioning back. And also, you know, retraining his eyes and finding that depth perception. Uh, but Bodie, the first pitch he saw, or first at bat that he had yesterday, ripped a double down the left field line. And that was a Bodie type of swing and the swing path that, you know, people in Chicago become accustomed to over the last five years. It was really nice to see. Yeah. It seems to have good pop now, good at bats that um, he's, I mean, we mentioned it yesterday during the game, Wednesday during the game that, this is his spring training. I mean, going into yesterday's game, he wasn't even at 40 at bats yet. So this is a guy who's trying to do not just adjust, say even on like with his eyes, with the glasses, he's trying to adjust to pitching again, just get back in that groove, back, get back in the rhythm. And I really felt that Wednesday he started to turn a corner in terms of how he's seeing the ball, how he's making contact, because that ball started to jump off his bat. And I think prior to that, he was kind of more searching, trying to find that timing. And that seems to be coming along. And so- yeah. It's nice to see, especially with, I mean, I said yesterday too, but it, it's kind of now up in the big leagues that you, you don't just want depth, you need depth. So uh, he could give another option just, you know, in whatever situation you need. Yeah, he's due to come off next week off the 60-day injury list. And we talked about the double. There was one at bat that I think he grounded out, but he barreled two balls down the left field line. You know, one that just went foul, one that hooked into our bud club, both well over 300 feet, exit below well over 100 miles per hour. And that's an indicator that, one, you're seeing the ball well, and two, your swing path is starting to get right and sync with the rest of your body. So, you know, I, I think that David Bodie is a very valuable player for this Cubs team right now because he can do so many different things. And I think with all the injuries happening right now in the big leagues and the team where it's at right now, you need a pro who can go up there, play different positions, hit different spots in the order and not have to worry about it. And David Bodie's that player. Yeah, no, it's definitely fascinating. I mean, especially the eye thing to think that his entire big league career, like ultimate grand slam yeah. to, to now or to last year has been without his eyes really being at 100% or being at 20-20 vision. So yeah, that's definitely, uh, you know, fascinating. And to your point, Alex, I don't, I, it's hard to, to kind of feel how David Ross is going to plan playing timeout. Like Jason Hayward just returned Wednesday and, and planning the outfield and mapping all that out, especially when 
say Suzuki comes back as well. And, um, you know, in the infield, there's so many guys now and where Bodie might fit into that. So it, it's going to be really interesting over the next week or really even two or three weeks as, you know, Alec Mills is, is eligible to do, uh, return next week. And, you know, maybe as some of these other guys uh, come back from the 60 day or just the 10 or 15 day IL. But, you know, another guy that we may end up seeing as reinforcement at some point this month or later this summer is Caleb Killian. I know he's uh, been fantastic down there in AAA, but uh, just from what you guys have, have been down there and seeing and talking to him and Alex, I know you've seen him all year. Yeah. What have you seen or heard from Killian, the, the Cubs top pitching prospect so far this season? He is the poster child of what you want a right-handed starting pitcher in the big leagues to look like. He's 6'4". He throws a 97-mile-per-hour fastball. He has four-plus pitches. He's smart. He's coachable. And he has mound presence. And he's everything what you're looking for. He's got a two-seam and four-seam fastball that works on both sides of the plate. Um, his slider and cutter have been good. Um, and then the curveball, he's starting to work off that a little bit. So he could spin that curveball first pitch, then combine it with a 93 mile per hour, two seamer, or 96 mile per hour, four seamer. I mean, it's, it's exactly what you look for in a big league pitcher. I've been asked a lot, like for his comparisons, um, just with somebody with his size, the way that the ball jumps out of his arm. Uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of Zach Wheeler. It reminds me a little bit like career production wise of like a right-handed Wade Miley. It just doesn't work as fast and throw my throw a little bit harder, uh, but he's going to be a starter in the big leagues one. And two, he's the type of guy that I'm not saying you could build the rotation off him because I'm not sure if he's like a number one. I mean, it's tough to say, Hey, you're going to be one of the top 30 starters in major league baseball, but he's somebody that's going to be in your rotation, a two, a three, a four for the next 10 years. And that's not anything to scoff at whatsoever. So you want to be careful with that development, make sure that he is ready to go. But once he is, you're going to see Caleb Killian in a Chicago Cubs uniform for quite some time. And I haven't seen him pitch yet, but in talking to the pitching coach, Ron Vallone yesterday, he was saying exactly what Alex said, that he's exactly, if you could draw up a pitcher, he's how you would create him. And I think um, to go beyond even like what you're saying with the stuff that he has, because when Alex and I talk about him too, what's impressive is he's like a pitchability guy, but who still can throw like up to the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. So it's not like when you talk about a Hendricks and Alec Mills, that they have to locate, like Killian can locate and he can also kind of bring it in. So with that, and then added to that, when you talk about drawing up a picture, what stood out to me is he seems to be ahead or advanced in how he approaches things on the mound and mentally how he works through a game by himself, able to make adjustments. You always hear at the big league level, especially when you hear guys like Steele and Thompson, as they've adjusted to their roles, I need to make adjustments on the fly more. I need to learn when something's not working, like how can I fix that in the moment? And it sounds like Killian does that or he's capable of doing that as he continues to grow and I think that's what's really promising like RV will say when he comes in the dugout like I don't really need to say anything he kind of knows where he's at what he's doing the questions to ask um so you just to me it seems like you're getting a guy who's comfortable and confident right now and that leads to his success because he has obviously all the tools and he really puts it together yeah, it'll be absolutely fascinating to see when he comes up and and kind of like you were saying, Alex, maybe like how long, like does he come up and, and stay up then here in Chicago? So definitely something uh, for fans to keep an eye on for the rest of the summer. And, and I know fans are also very interested in Brennan Davis and, you know, another top prospect, what's going on with him. Um, I know he's been on the injured list for the past couple of weeks with, uh, I don't know, a back injury, but like well, it's a low, low back strain. Low yeah. Back. yeah. So, I mean, what, it, you know, Alex being around there and stuff, what if, 
what have been the updates on Brennan Davis, the Cubs' top prospect here? Yeah, well, first of all, when he was here, um, it was something that you could tell he was trying to play through. Um, manager Marty Peavy said it was an issue that really started in spring and with everything leading up to this season with Brendan, you know, being the top prospect, being in the Futures game last year, coming up the AAA and homering in his first two at-bats. He wanted to start off this season with a bang. Um, I, I think the cold weather definitely didn't do him any favors because everything tightened up. Um, and when talking about Brendan Davis, who's 22 years old, instead of letting it play out and giving up a couple of days off, when it comes down to it, if you give him a month off in the middle of the season and let's say he comes back beginning of July and then plays the rest of the year, guess what? You're still at 100 games. You know, Brendan Davis hasn't played more than 99 games in a season in his career. Obviously, you want to see more than that. But if he comes back in a month, three weeks, you'll look at the end of the season and he'll be around that games played, around those at-bats, and he'll be getting in that work. And I think first and foremost, you want to see Brendan healthy and make sure that this is not a season-long thing and a you know, two- or three-year-long thing. And if that means sitting him out for a month and letting him go back to Arizona and get stronger – let that happen. Patience is the operative word here. I don't have it. I know that fans in general don't have it. That's where we can kind of reunite in that. But in this case with Brennan, who's 22 years old, the top 20 prospect in minor league baseball, take a deep breath, let him get healthy. And let's see come July, if he can come back healthy at either Tennessee or here. Yep, exactly. Take a deep breath and um, we'll be okay. Yeah, I'm not patient either. So, but I know that was part of the exciting part uh, with doing iCubs games. And, and I think, you know, I'm with you. It's, it's almost um, best, I don't want to say worst case scenario just because he's injured, but it, it's, it's okay, basically. The timing of it actually isn't so bad because you have it. I think there was anticipation that you might see him at the end of the year. And given the outfield situation, even from the start of the season, we were all saying, well, how would that look? How would that pan out? Because it's a crowded outfield. And so I think he, he can feel that, that he can take his time and get right. And I think he knows that. And the Cubs organization knows that they're being very deliberate with guys like Killian and Davis and how they approach them, because these are impact guys at the big league level. And so um, I think with Davis that they're, he wants to get back out there too. I mean, he's probably really anxious. Oh, see, see, <laughs> seeing him watch batting practice, you could see like the wheels turning be like, man, I want to get out there. And I think Elise hit it on the head. I mean, this isn't just like a 60-day fix that you bring up to the Cubs for July to September. I mean, these are six-year guys. And if that means sitting them out for a month in Brendan Davis and keeping Caleb Killian here for four or five more starts to stretch out his pitch count and see if he can refine his secondary pitches, you have to let that take shape. And so on that note, we have other prospects, players that we can talk about. So we're going to hit on those right after this break. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. Welcome back into the Cubs Weekly podcast. We're chatting with Elise Meneker and Alex Cohen down in Iowa. And uh, some of the guys we've seen from Iowa to Wrigley Field this year, we already talked about Matt Swarmer made his MLB debut on, on Monday at Memorial Day pitching. He'll get another start. He's lined up for Saturday in the other part of the doubleheader. So for him, he basically is just pitching in doubleheaders in the big leagues right now, but <laughs> doing well, um, you know, but we also saw Nelson Velasquez come up and make his big league debut uh, on Monday in that doubleheader. And he's, he's back down now in Iowa. He got a couple of days up here, got to show what he can do, you know, was able to, to chat with, uh, with David Ross and with his bestie and Christopher Morrell. And, you know, it's kind of a cool story there, but just what have you guys seen and heard about Velasquez and his few weeks at Iowa, obviously the shortstop in Chicago back in Iowa now, but just what this outfielder 
can provide the Cubs long-term this franchise. We, we talked about Christopher Morrell having all the tools of you know, running fast, throwing hard, hitting far. Nelson Velasquez fits into that mold. Watch him run in the outfield. I mean, he can run a ball down. He's got a howitzer for a right arm. And the last home run he hit here at Principal Park, hit at 434 feet. So he has the tools of somebody who can be a longtime outfielder. Uh, I, I thought of a compliment. He's kind of like Yoannis Cespedes light. You know, Yoannis Cespedes had, you know, 12 veins bulging out of his biceps. I think Yoannis Cespedes <laughs> might have eight, or I think uh, Nelson Velasquez might have eight. Um, so I, I think that just physically he's so imposing and the tools are there. Last game that he was here in Iowa before going up to the big leagues, he went three for five with a homer and a double. He's somebody that when he came down here, I'm sorry, something caught in my throat. Um, <laughs> it must be the smoothie. <laughs> you could tell that he just wanted to succeed instead of just letting it rip. And I know that the coaching staff, uh, even Ron Valone, the pitching coach, hitting coach, Desi Wilson, manager, Marty Peavy, and said, dude, you're good. Just, just do you go out there and attack. I mean, there are not many guys like you who can hit the ball as hard and as far. That's what's going to get you to the big leagues. And then he goes out there and then he goes three for five, a single, a home run, a double. And then you're like, whoa, like, okay, like this is why this kid is one of the top 20 prospects in the organization could be ranked higher and why he stood out in the fall league. So I think the tools are there like Morrell. It's just the seasoning, putting them all together and making sure that they both have the aggressiveness to mainstay up in the big leagues and keep on doing that and not let the outside noise and the failures of baseball. It's a sport where 75% of the time, it's not a good statistic. So you have to be okay with that. And for the 25% of the time, that is a good statistic take advantage of that by hitting 434 foot home runs and stealing 20 bases, which is the potential that he could do. And I think that kind of puts the be you, do you element into perspective that just because someone says that, or is like, yeah, I'll just do that. It, it's harder than it seems because of what it entails and because of everything that is kind of going on. And I think one of the most fun parts with the guys getting called up is one, their stories, how they get the news, telling their families, calling their families late at night, you know, like all of that stuff. Um, and that's kind of where the energy drive and excitement comes from from all these players we're seeing and I remember Alex and I were texting about Velasquez because I was anticipating you know calling the games with him here and uh it was funny because he's like you know he's been struggling he's like oh never mind he just hit a home oh never mind he's <laughs> he an double. RBI double he's, he's good he's back to normal and I think that's all it takes sometimes is just a little bit of an adjustment period because there is that hunger here in Iowa because these guys sense and see opportunities and they want to take advantage of their opportunities that's just the the sense and always going to be the case in AAA because you're that close mm -hmm. um, if you haven't been up there already and so uh, I think that's part of what's exciting in watching these prospects because I think there's a confidence about about them and they all as you can see kind of um feed off of each other and band together and um see you know the potential that they can bring to the cubs and to major league baseball they want to show what they can do so yeah I, I think more than anything when you look at guys like that his size is what you know stuck out to me and then when you have all those tools um you like to see when he can put them together because you know it's there yeah all right so i mean all these mlb debuts that we've seen and we've talked about Killian we've talked about Brennan Davis who we anticipate maybe in Chicago at some point this year but maybe a little bold prediction time putting you guys on the spot a little bit who's next from Iowa to come up and make their debut you know the 40 man is a big consideration they're gonna have to clear spots for Bodie and Mills like we mentioned before coming off the 60-day aisle but what are guys who are guys that stick out to you that may be next to join the Swarmer and, and Velasquez making their big league debuts 
feel like this is a lose lose question yeah, with no. how things go because I, I would not have said velasquez like no. a week ago yeah so. i wouldn't have said swarmer i mean if they're calling That's him a true. pitch yeah. right, i would have thought killian and you know swarmer right. it was right it's an ever-changing process yeah for sure and, and you actually were saying that with like all the up and downs because we had it last year a little bit when we were calling games, but it almost kind of happened at once. It was like this wave of wisdom, Schwindel, Dykeman, just kind of guys like going up. Yeah, well, we were calling a game and they were making all their yeah, trades live. Right, that's right. what you do. That yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah, the big name players, yeah, but the big leagues. And that's right. That's when you started to see the transition. Um, I do feel like Killian is probably high on that list. Um, and because especially when you have guys right now, like a Mills and Bodie who could enter back into the picture, I think then the transactions, at least with some of the prospects that we talk about could slow down. Um, so I feel like Killian, a guy who we haven't talked about, who I just really like is Jared Young. Um, he's like, just, I, I just such a smooth, um, easy, confident player to watch. So I kind of just want to mention him just because I, I think that Cubs fans should have an eye on him. He's not in the top prospect list, so you might not hear his name as much, um, but he did get pushed down among all those trades last year. So he was up there at one point. And I, I still think he deserves to be talked about because he's probably one of the smoothest, most consistent players that not only you'll see in Iowa, but that you'll see in the system. Yeah, I, I think Jared offensively was a guy who was a former Cubs minor league player of the year. He's just produced at every single level that he's been at. Doesn't matter if it's college, rookie ball to AAA. He just hits. He drives and runs. He can hit for power. He can hit at any part of the order. He can hit to both fields. He can hit lefties. He can hit righties. So he's a guy who's just very versatile with that. And that can play a number of different positions. He's played both corner outfield positions, third base, first base. He came up as a second baseman in college. So he's really versatile. I'm going to go at it from a pitching perspective in the bullpen because that's, that's where true. there were a lot of guys. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a good point. And you talk about, you know, Ron Ballone just smiles ear to ear thinking about yeah. that. <laughs> And, you know, I think with that, because the Cubs, it really just depends on where they are. I mean, they have assets in the bullpen, like a Michael Gibbons, like a Chris Martin, like a David Robertson, who they could potentially either keep or deal when it comes to the trade deadline and guys who could take those places. I mean, we saw three of them yesterday or two of them yesterday and Brendan Little and Eric Ullman. Yeah. Uh, Eric Ullman, somebody who pitched for the Iowa Cubs or pitched for the Iowa Cubs in in 2021 struggled a little bit and he got right to work. I mean, our season ended October 3rd. He started October 4th. He was ready. He reared back uh, number four or fourth round pick in 2018. And Ron Ballone said that he's a guy who just put it all together, throws in the mid nineties. You can throw four different positions or four different pitches. And, and he's a guy who has by far been our best reliever uh, from the first day of the season to now uh, Ben Leeper is right now on the injury list. He's a top 30 prospect. Um, Jared Banner, who's the farm director for the Chicago Cubs, told Tommy Birch, our beat writer, that that Ben should be rear back and ready to go in the next couple of weeks. Um, so he's definitely an arm that you want to look out for. And then Brendan Little, a former first round draft pick, left handed arm. We saw him yesterday, and all he does is throw 96 from the left yeah. side with a good curveball. And I so. think, too, you can throw in Kane Eckert in there, who's yep. been one of the better relievers down here, who we saw in spring training and really impressed. And so I think that list right there is is those are the names. When you want to talk, I do, I agree with you where I think on the pitching front, that mm -hmm. could be where you see a guy. And I think any of those names um, is someone that you could see called up because it really for all of those guys, the ball like jumps out of their hand and they have something kind of special about them and the way they manage the game and manage themselves and their development. Um, Ron Valone really for all of those guys has just talked about their work ethic and the work they have put in uh, like an Allman, he said from the moment, you know, last season ended just working um, super hard to get to where they are today. And, and you could say that 
that really about any guy right now. I mean, because he said that glowingly about Swarmer as well. So the guys are working hard and they're earning those opportunities. On the position player front, I know Robel Garcia has been up here in the big leagues before, but is a name familiar to a lot of Cubs fans, and he's gotten red hot, I know, at various points this season. Um, and you guys talked quite a bit about him in Wednesday's broadcast, but just a little bit about maybe what Robel has been through, what this journey of, of this season has been like this year. Yeah, I mean, Robel starting the season here. It's his second tour of duty with the Chicago Cubs. You know, 2019 was obviously a really special year for him. You know, started in A, came up here to Iowa, made his big league debut, uh, hit 32 home runs over the course of 2019. Then uh, 2020, 2021, he was with the Houston Astros organization. Last year, he really struggled. And I think he just feels a little bit more confident in these Cubby colors like a lot of players do. Uh, and just Robel coming back here. I mean, he's a guy who hit six home runs, over a six-game stretch. He's the first Iowa Cubs player since at least 2008 to the home run in four consecutive games. And he can do it for both sides of the plate, and he's a switch hitter. So uh, he's hit 12 home runs this year, nine from the left side, three from the right side. We saw him yesterday. What stood out, it wasn't the offense at least, it was the defense. Yeah. He made uh, two fair-handed throws uh, from third to first, made a leaping catch. And you know, we, we talk about the offense and the power. I mean, it is unrivaled, but – if he can play that position well at third, and he's, we've also seen him at second, we've also seen him at first, we've also seen him at left, there's the additional value. Yeah, I, I think the bat is what sticks out to me about Garcia first, but to your point yesterday, it was the defense that shined. I mean, he made a couple of nice barehanded grabs, like you said, that jumping catch. And so I think for him, it was just like a really hot May, like a really good stretch for him. That is what stuck out to me. That's part of when Alex was talking about like that stretch of home runs and just the power he was producing too. And I do get the feeling that that is like, that can be where he's at. And now it's just about like staying even and, and keeping that same approach approach through the ups and downs because mm -hmm. that that approach that he had there obviously that's what you want to bottle up and that's the challenge of the game I mean if it was that easy guys would would hit a lot better than they do and, and there's pretty good pitchers on the mound too so um you like to see the potential the versatility the confidence that he has so yeah I definitely think that especially here at uh in Iowa right now among all the prospects he's a name that you're going to hear a lot because of how he's been playing and you know, as we talk about AAA, I'd be remiss if we did not talk about that 14-second pitch clock. I know it's a big thing. I learned something on the broadcast yesterday. I didn't realize guys in their big league uh, rehab assignments, it doesn't apply to them, which is a fascinating aspect of it. But I wanted your guys' take on what you've been hearing from players, what the reaction is uh, from players or coaches, but also just like how does it affect the game and, and how is this pitch clock, um, what impact has it had at the AAA level so far when these guys are one call away from getting up to the big leagues. I mean, we talk about Killian and we look at his walk or strikeout total. And I don't even know, Alex, I know you, you've seen every pitch he's thrown, yeah. but just like, like has any of his walks or strikeouts been as a result of this pitch clock? You know what I mean? Or like, not, not for Killian, count? not for Killian because he works pretty, you know, quickly and efficiently, but um, Ron Valone put it perfectly. He's like, it's a rule. Like it's something that's there. The numbers are out in the right center field. There's the clock. You have to follow it. If you don't, you'll be punished. I mean, it's very like school teacher, school-esque. It's like, here's a rule, you break it, you get penalized. If you adhere to the rule, everything will be fine. Um, from a pace of play standpoint, I mean, it just changed things entirely. I mean, for the players, for me, I mean, I'm used to calling three-hour, 30-minute games, nine-inning games, you know, four or five times a series. You know, now our, our, our first five nine-inning games of the year, 
where two hours and 17 minutes, two hours and 34 minutes, two hours, 48 minutes, two hours and nine minutes, and then two hours and 11 minutes. I can barely catch my breath. So <laughs> it's definitely something that you don't really understand like in the midst of pitch by pitch, but when you're looking at the eighth inning and we're two hours and two minutes into the game and the big league game is in the fourth inning, it's very tangible. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I think it's been really exciting and you get the feel. And I was talking to hitting coach Desi Wilson about this pitching coach, Ron Valone, uh, manager, uh, Marty Peavy. And just overall, not only are the games, yes, they're obviously quicker, but the pace and the action, it just feels more constant. You guys at the plate now are more locked in and engaged. And because of that, they're swinging more, they're putting balls in play and everything is just kind of um, quicker. There's that feel to it. So whether it has, you know, the, the length of a two hour, 10 minute game mm -hmm. or not, you're just feeling like you're watching more action. So I do think, and you're seeing, you know, guys active on the base paths, which was the goal as well. So to me, I, I think it's a great addition. Overall, I, I don't get the sense that guys have had to make like these um, crazy, yeah, yeah that, that it's just about kind of being ready now for everyone. And you're just kind of aware of it. We've seen a couple of times there, there's the human element to it. What, you know, when you start it, because the minute he toes the rubber, that's like when it starts ticking down. And so just starting that on time or starting it early. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's going to be things that need to be worked out. These aren't glaring issues either. It's not like it's happening every inning. Um, but I think it's uh, a really nice experiment that I see, you know, happening moving forward because it seems to be working exactly the way you'd want yeah, it to. You brought up the human element to it. I mean, to start the clock. I mean, that's somebody up in the press box doing that. Uh, and, and I think it happened in Memphis. Um, it started late and I asked why, and the person dropped a, uh, a bottle of water on their lap. <laughs> so there is a human element to this. It's not automatic. And it's something that, you know, people are still learning about game number 48, 49 of the season. And I'm sure the results will be different now than they are game number 148 and 149. It's still a fluid process, but we see about two or three automatic balls per game. And uh, fortunately, they're they're normally at the beginning of the count while guys are getting situated. It's like a first pitch ball or a second pitch ball. We haven't seen many, you know, three balls, two strikes, two outs, bottom of the ninth, base is loaded. Oh, here's an automatic ball. Of course, um, we haven't seen that yet. Now, will that come? We shall see. But I think that the majority of the umpires and the majority of the people running the clock, they're pretty deliberate with it and consistent with it. And so far it's had good results. And overall, the feeling you get down here is that people enjoy it. They like using it. You haven't really heard. Um, oh gosh, no, this has been awful. I definitely, I don't think you for anyone say that right now. And so just so people are aware it's 14 seconds when no one's on 19, when someone is, and then 30 after a walk, getting a little more time. So um, there are adjustments that are made uh, in certain game situations. So, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's yeah. great. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I mean, just even watching the broadcast on Wednesday was the first time I was able to to watch, you know, an Iowa game for a long period of time. But I was struck. Oh, thanks, how... Tony. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. I, I'm sorry, you know, I've been busy up here. But that's uh, that the vote of approval right there. Alex, I never turned marquee off. It's just whatever marquee's <laughs> on, and, and it was the marquee Iowa debut. But no, I see where I stand. Just, yeah. just cool. Yeah. No, but it was crazy just how fast the game was moving like that, you know, the bottom of that first inning where all those the I Cubs were scoring runs and it was just like, wow, like that, you know, here's another pitch, here's another pitch. And it was like, you can feel like 
those innings can be really quick sometimes, but then I realized in the middle of it, like, Oh, it's really quick because the pitcher is delivering really, really yeah. quick and he's working quickly and he's working at a Wade Miley like pace. And it's like, why is he doing that when he's getting lit up? Oh, he has to, there's a pitch right. clock, you know? And it's like, so it, it was something that was in my mind and it was really just fascinating from like a fan perspective for a little bit to watch. So I, I'm very curious. Uh, I was very curious to hear how you, what you guys thought of it, how the players reacted to it. And I'll be curious to see where this goes from here. And there's a softball feel to it, which I say is a positive because softball moves at a really good pace and it feels closer to that, which I think is, is good for the game because you get the same thing in softball, like the more action balls put in play Um, naturally in softball, um, you just work quicker, but to kind of carry that over and have to, has to be through a pitch clock in baseball. I think it's really good for the game. Yeah. I think it's just, there was an adjustment period with it, obviously. Um, I mean, there's also additional rules where you you have to, you can only throw over the first twice. And if you throw over to first you know the third time it's a balk I mean it's just a different kind of balk and I think it's a creative way to speed up the pace of play and I think that if you look at the box scores if you look at just the tempo of the game that we broadcasted on Wednesday um, you could see that there are results there and I I think it's a benefit to baseball and that's partly why like uh, with the experimenting and talking about it like with guys on for instance is there do you not have a pitch clock moving forward because um, because guys know for instance like that rule the third time like they either have to get you out at first or it's a balk so guys could take a bigger lead they're halfway down to second and that's why you're stealing more seeing more steals so um, I think just the whole point with the experiment is making sure that the game is still play true and not kind of taking advantage of of some situations um, due to the pitch clock. So that means with talking about the pitch clock and timing, our time here is up, guys. Uh, But don't forget, while we have our first two Iowa games, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, this week, we have more coming up. So the next ones are June 15th and 18th. And that'll be exciting. Yeah, we have 18 games this year. 18 games. You get to talk to me. Or I get to talk to you. Yeah. We can talk to each other. <laughs> Just talk about you. Yeah. It's great. No, we talk with Alex. Well, I do. And uh, you all get to hear from him. He always has a lot of great insight because he sees these guys every day. So it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, 18 total uh, Iowa games to look forward to. And, of course, every week, the Cubs Weekly Podcast. But that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. Thanks as always for watching.